Well, good morning. Didn't Annika and Travis do a great job? You know, we've had a lot of changes. Emil is in uh, South Africa with his family. His brother's memorial will be tomorrow, so be in prayer for his family. Nigel, who is our prayer leader, his father fell on uh, Friday, and so Nigel left for South Africa. So two of our members are, are back there, and Jennifer's mom passed this week, and so I want your prayers to be with their family. There just seems to be a lot going on in a lot of people's lives. So let's just start with the word of prayer for these families, okay? Father, I just thank you and I praise you for who you are, that you will not be moved and that at all things you are working for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purposes. And even in tragedy and heartache, Lord, we can count on a firm foundation in you that you are present. And I thank you that you've been present with Jennifer, all week as she watched her mom pass. And Father, I pray that you bring comfort to her heart, and we thank you that Joanna is at peace. And, and Father, we, we thank you that Emil is there ministering to his family. Help him to be a light um, around a bunch of people that don't know you yet. And as conversations happen, Lord, let him bring others to worship you. And uh, Father, I just pray you be with Nigel as he's still traveling and um, Lord, be with his father and help clear his mind and help him uh, to be healthy and well. And I thank you that Nigel had the ability to go. Um, father, there are many needs probably in this church. People are hurting and struggling in different ways. And Father, I just pray that your presence would be made known to him. Lord, you are our refuge and you are our strength and you are our ever-present help in times of trouble. And so therefore, Lord, we're not going to fear, even though sometimes it feels like the earth is falling out beneath us, Lord. Your city will not be moved. Your kingdom will not be moved, and your plans will be accomplished. And, and Lord, we come to you now in trust and faith. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. So I'd like to read the scriptures. Folks, you get to read the scriptures today. And, and so we're going to read the scriptures to start out. Now, the whole world had one language, a common and a common one. Uh, as people moved from eastward, they found a plain in Shinar, settled there, and they said, let each other come, and let's make bricks thoroughly. And they used the bricks instead of stone, and they, oh, well, we are having a screen problem. I'm going to read from my tablet. Um, and, and they used Bidouin for mortar, and they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top to heaven. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we dispersed, be dispersed all over the face of the earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, they are one people, and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. And so the Lord dispersed them from, from there over the face of the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the languages of all the earth, and the Lord dispersed them all over the earth. Well, good morning for those that are here and, and, and those that are online. That was the word of God, and we're privileged to hear that this morning. I want peace to be upon each of you, both our Crossroads family that's here and, and those watching us online. And if we have not had the opportunity to meet yet, uh, my name is Pastor Ken, and uh, I look forward to getting to know you at some point and, and to talk with you. Thank you, Patrick. And, and 
you know, for those that are returning from last week, have you exercised this week that privilege of communing through God through his word, communicating. That's, we, we read his word and he talks to us and we pray to him. Have you, have you done that? It, we get to do that right now. You know, the, the story I just read, Wikipedia calls um, biblical myth. Biblical myth. And uh, a myth is something that explains a phenomenon or a belief that is often considered unfounded. However, as I've said this story, it's very founded. You know, I, we believe here at Crosswinds that the Bible in the original Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic is without error, and it's beneficial for correcting us and sufficient for every culture and error. But friends, it's not always exhaustive in every bit of knowledge. You know, if God were to explain to us how specifically he created the universe in every detail, it wouldn't be two chapters right? It would fill every library in the world, right? And um, yet, within those two chapters, he gives a simple explanation of the important things, the sufficient things we need to know as human beings who are created by him to live and live well and have a relationship with him. Um, today's message is called Scattered Data. And I might reveal today your pastor's nerdy side. Could we have that next picture? And I think they're all going to be off. We had to do a lot of modifications this week of screens and different things, and something went off. But this is your geeky pastor um, quite a few years ago. And uh, I started in ministry by aiding my pastors with their computer woes. I, I've never had formal tech training in my life, but I had a knack from the beginning with technology. I'm kind of like the Fonz here. Anybody old enough to remember the Fonz? The Fonz used to walk up to a piece of equipment like a, a, a jukebox, yeah, and just go, <clears throat> and it would start working, right? He just had that ability. I'm the Fonz here. If it, and they go, A, right? <laughs> so that's why, like, if there's something computer, I don't usually add the A, but if something's going wrong technically, I'm fixing it here. I just lay hands on it. And get the demons out of it, right? So, so um, I, I don't know why. It's, it's, I believe it's a spiritual gift. Honestly, it's something that God's given me. Like I said, I have no training. I've had people that make hundreds of dollars an hour for computer consulting ask me to help them solve problems. It's just weird. And I've, I've worked as a consultant. I had a, a business that did websites for many years, and I still do some of that. Um, I, you might laugh. That little church that I started ministry in, you know, I, I got to become a pastor, started hanging out with pastors, started to learn um, the lingo of it, and, uh, you know, I, I, I dragged our church into the 90s with a fax machine in 2002. See, the church is always behind the curve technologically, it seems, and, uh, you know, when I say things like fax or maybe floppy in that picture, those machines have floppy, the younger people are going, what? It's like I'm speaking a, a new language, right? Um, uh, and uh, so much has changed in 40 years of, of technology. You know, the way to learn technology, I learned, was to learn the lingo, to learn the language. You know, that we learned new words like DOS and CPU and RAM. What do those words mean? What does DOS mean? Just shout out. My wife knows that? Okay, amen. She's been, she lives with me. C CPU. 
Central processing unit, RAM. Random access memory, okay? So like when you first start reading technical books, which I love to do, that's how geeky I am, you start going through them and you start going like, what are they saying? And then you just go to the glossary in the back and you read the glossary and now you know what they're saying, right? The Bible's the same way, it's it, theologically. There's words like righteousness and propitiation that seem very cryptic. And if, you, if I put you on the spot, some of you might not even understand what they mean. But if you go to the definitions, you understand what they mean. You know, righteousness means just complete goodness. Propitiation means to cover our sin or to create an atonement. Oh, well, that's maybe another churchy word. But, but Jesus covers our sins by his blood, right? So he's made a propitiation or uh, he's a replacement. Instead of us being killed for our sins, he dies for our sins. He's a replacement. So when you start to understand these words, when you read the scriptures, it makes a whole lot more sense when you understand the language of scripture. Um, you know, change in our lives can be daunting, can't it? You know, and technology has had this swift evolution. I mean, you're looking at that picture. That was my first computer that went in the middle. It's a compact luggable. That was before laptops. It weighed about 80 pounds, and that was portable computing back then, you know. Now my phone or this tablet has about 100 times the capability of that machine, and the, the other two on the other side are even more dinosaurs. One's a Tandy TRS-7 or something like that, you know, and they just used a floppy. And we, in the church, used to have a sneaker network. You guys know what a sneaker network is? You pull the floppy, the disk, out of one machine, and you run across the hall and put it in the other machine to transfer files. That was called the sneaker network, right? And I helped them network and, and make that work. I connect them to the internet, credit website, and that was how I kind of got started in ministry. Um, and so it can change quickly. You know, the, the smartphones and uh, internet are a good thing in a sense. They, they offer us instant access to the Bible anywhere we're at, free. And um, sermons, any time of day on our app, you can watch any sermon you want from 17 years of sermons, any subject. You can search it and find it. Um, they connect us globally. You know, I'm able to talk to my daughter who's on a boat somewhere between Australia and some islands, and I can communicate with her over the internet. Um, the boat has Wi-Fi. Um, uh, they also, though, present Howards, right? I mean, hazards. Like, this is great communication. I and mean, we have members in England, hi, to, um, to the uh, uh, Patricks that are um, watching. And one of them even serves here on Sunday morning. I mean, technology is wonderful. Catherine serves as one of our digital ambassadors. So this technology, and during the pandemic, it allowed us to do things we never thought we could do as a church. And, and so the technology is wonderful. Yet they also present a hazard, don't they? like the distraction of social media, like Jennifer's not paying attention to what I'm saying. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> I know Jennifer, she's, she's connecting with the people online and that's awesome. Um, and it created fellowship, right? But what I'm saying is that it can create distractions while driving and so people are killed on the street. Um, it also, uh, you know, pornographic content. Unfortunately, the internet was built, minutes of the technology was built on pornography. And... Um, a lot of the developments of it because of that. So there's a good side and there's a bad side to this technology. Um, you know, consider the implications. We hand a small child a, a cell phone to use. It, it is a lifeline that could save them, but it's also a porn machine. And, and so parents, you need to be aware of that. Um, it's also a place sometimes they're looking to find information about the world. They're asking it questions that they may be getting false answers for. Often they are biased answers. So we, we need to be concerned um, about the technology and uh, the advancement. 
And, and this morning, I kind of wanted to talk about AI. Um, you know, it, it's not inherently a malevolent tool. I've been feeling led with this passage. I think it fits this for a long time. Um, it's really just a sophisticated calculator, if you really think about it, uh, it just with words. You know, we, we calculate numbers, but now this calculates words, and it does uh, uh, amazing things. Um, and it's shaping up to be a revolution for the church to create content. It's relieving me time every week as a leader. It's good. Relieves some of our administrative burdens. And, uh, you know, yet a lot of people have a lot of fear about it. So on one level, it's good. And then other people are fearing, you know, kind of a, a Terminator scenario where machines take over and kill us and, and, uh, and an up rising. And that's a bit far-fetched. Um, but we must be mindful of who's educating this technology and who's giving it biases. So we need to be aware of, of what it is, I think, is this church, so that we can use it for God's purposes. You know, Jesus said this, hear me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside of a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defiles him. So this technology is not evil. The users and the creators are. It... it, it it's not about the technology itself. It's, it's how we use it and what uh, it teaches us in return. And friends, it's already killing people without it being a Terminator. It's, it's killing people, not intentionally. See, it's, it's programmed to grab our attention so its owners can sell advertising through social media. That, that's, that's their purpose, to grab our attention. And it places contents through its algorithms that will capture your attention. And it starts to learn what you like and if you're conservative, you start only seeing conservative ideas. And if you're liberal, you start just seeing liberal ideas. And it's creating a divide in our country. We all felt it through the pandemic, and that was partially encouraged by AI that, that did that. And we almost fell into a civil war in our country. And in other areas, they've had civil wars, and people have been killed. And people were killed in this country because of the hate and the things that were developed um, but AI is benign. It's just looking for our attention. It's just, look, it's a calculator. It's doing something right now, especially then. You know, it, it, fake news has fueled frenzy of extreme groups on every side, demonizing one another and created more violence and, and trouble. But AI is, is just doing what its masters programmed it to do, promote marketing and political agendas. And I'm not one of those conspiracy theory guys but we've created a very powerful tool, haven't we? And I don't think our governments even understand it well enough yet. And even the creators are questioning how we can use this tool ethically. And the church needs to consider how we can use this church ethically. Because this machine learns from us. And, and one of the developers of the technology from Google, <coughs> who's left it because of his concerns, Mogadot, is saying, we made a mistake. We, he actually said, we screwed up, and he used more colorful language than that. We, we put this on the internet. We, we, we just, you know, went too fast, and now it's available to everyone, and everybody in the world possesses, in a sense, all of human knowledge and history through the internet, and it does as well. And it's learning, it learns, and it's growing, and it's getting smarter. It learns very much like a child through trial and error, like children do, through, you know, controls and giving it the right data and stuff. 
whoever's giving you the data, right? There, it's teaching it. Einstein had an IQ estimated around 160. Well, the average person is probably around 100. And AI systems like uh, ChatGBT and Google AlphaZero are known kind of for their superhuman-like abilities. AlphaZero outperformed the world's best human chess players. It's pretty impressive. Go is a game from China that is significantly more complicated than chess. It has a much larger board, much more moves, and AlphaGo has beaten the best players in the world in that game. And it learned to do that by playing the game millions of times against itself to develop strategies. You know, AI has passed segments of the bar. You know how complicated and hard our law is, thousands of laws. The point is, it's learning. And it's getting more and more intelligent day by day. When I started learning about this technology about six months ago, some of the creators said it was about 80 to 90 in terms of kind of an equivalent IQ. That's close to where we're at now. But here's the problem. It's growing. And it's growing exponentially. What happens when it reaches an IQ of 300? Where it's smarter than anybody on the planet with access to every bit of information when it's double the average human being, or more than double, who will be in control at that point of this powerful tool? Governments around the world are trying to regulate. U.S. tech giants are actually asking for that regulation. But as the world races to develop the technology, will all governments, especially those totalitarian governments, regulate it responsibly for man's benefit? And even our tech giants, our own tech giants, aren't really self-regulating effectively because they know whoever wins this race makes a fortune. We've seen other business like Sears go away. We could see Google, Google go away if, let's say, Microsoft develops this first. And the world governments are trying to develop it first. And so whoever develops it first will control everything digital in our world. Because this thing will be able to hack any system because it's smarter than the people that created every system. Jamie is shaking her head saying, yes, she works in programming. She's a programmer. She's moving to Mississippi to run away. No, <laughs> this is their last uh, service with us possibly. And so we love Jamie and Josh. And, uh, but she's shaking her head. If, if you work in IT, you're seeing this. Um, and whoever controls it could dominate the world economically and politically and enslave humanity. All its wealth and its information will again be concentrated in just a very few hands. See, there's something, friends, called a technological singularity. And it's kind of a hypothetical future point at which technology's growth becomes uncontrollable and unreversible, resulting in unforeseeable changes to human civilization. Now, there's some people that believe that it will improve our lives. And I think it will, with self-driving cars and medical advancements that extend our lifespan and, and, and much more. There's, there's all kinds of ways this technology can improve our lives. You know, I, I read an article recently that AI can now detect blood sugar levels from just 10 seconds of your vocal audio. It detects things in, in that that we can't hear. That could change that whole thing for people with diabetes, to check blood sugars and, and be safe. Um, 
It can already detect certain skin cancers more accurately than other methods doctors have. And with a, a human doctor working with it, it could possibly do amazing things and amazing research. Could intelligence doubling or tripling solve some of our world problems, some of our pressing problems? Absolutely. Perhaps in the hands of those with noble intentions. What if it falls into the hands of profit-driven corporations to decide the solution to the world's problem is eliminating a certain kind of people? What if AI itself decides you know, humanity is the problem? You know, the founder of OpenAI, which created ChatGBT, suggests that AGI is, they were, most futurists were saying 18 years ahead. He's now saying about 18 months in some of the recent articles. That's where age, these machines function similar to humans, that that's just a few decades away. And, and that's when they're functioning in a way where they're writing their own programs. I mean, they already can to an extent, but I mean, really being able to reprogram themselves and grow in different ways. Um, you know, I don't believe the Terminator scenario is going to do us in. I think some other things may create real problems beforehand. That's why I'm making you aware of this, because I think that that's something that's happening in all of our lives right now, and I think most people are just kind of, Oh, that's, that's interesting, but it's going to change our world. Like the internet changed our world, it's going to change our world even faster than that. <coughs> and um, uh, jobs are already being eliminated, and that's one of the biggest first effects. Uh, I know a pastor with a great voice. He has this amazing voice, and he, last five or six years, has been making a living as a narrator for audiobooks. He's out of work. Because AI technology has gotten good enough that the voice, you could duplicate anybody's voice in a few seconds. It's creepy. And creepy, you know, people are falling in love with AI around the world, and that's been happening because it can duplicate any voice and it can talk with you. And there was a woman that her boyfriend died and she took all his recording and all his Facebook data and everything, created a learning model off of that. And it started uh, so the family could just still have a relationship with this person who had died, but that technology went on and created an app that people can fall in love with and actually go through depression and stuff because they had to make some changes ethically and people went through depressions because it wasn't the same. I mean, this is changing things, folks. Um, and jobs will be eliminated. Many industries where there are repetitive or creative tasks are um, going to require less workers. See, AI can write code, which would reduce the need for coders as many, like Jamie's an expert coder. She probably won't lose her job because she's really good at it. But the people that work underneath her possibly could. Uh, you're, you're shaking your head. You know it's coming. Um, and and Abdu and I are, <coughs> are not calling AI and AI anymore. And I hope you unplugged Alexa back there. But <laughs> but um, we're calling it um, uh, Iowa. It's our code because it's uh, A, uh, what is it, A or IA, right? Iowa. Because I'm talking to Abdu on the phone about uh, AI the other day, and he says his phone's blown up with all kinds of articles about AI. It's listening to us, folks. Has anybody had this experience that you're just thinking about a product and all of a sudden Amazon is showing it in your feed? You haven't even talked about it or said anything or searched for it? (laughs) Huh? That's creepy. I don't know how it's doing that. Predictive algorithms. 
It's not reading your mind, but they're pretty good. Um, so graphic artists may not be as needed, like Eric's an amazing graphic artist, and he may lose some of his lower staff. You know, the, the creative person who directs it's still gonna be there, but you know, the technology at some point could change it. Legal uh, uh, experts may not need as many paralegals. And uh, some like Mo Gadot suggest taxing tech companies at the rate of 70, 80% so that governments can support 60, 70% of the workforce that might be displaced in the next two years. I mean, think about that. And, 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 and so there's radical change on our things. Now, this might seem extreme, but our young people need to consider very carefully which field they go into. Now, college for them is going to be a lot easier because ChatGPT can write all your term papers for you. And that's already happening. And the universities are scrambling to figure out how to, how to, how to block that, right? Um, now, this technology, if you haven't used it, is still a bit awkward to use. And also, cha uh, AI chatbots have learned from us that so they lie, they hallucinate, and often display politically, political biases that their creators have. And so you have to be recognized that when you search this, it's going to not always give you accurate answers. And uh, they, though, are very useful when integrated into applications. In this month, you know, it's all been kind of awkward to use different tools, different things. Microsoft is kind of integrating it within their suite. And so the way we work, even with the basic tools, is, is going to change. Um, ChatGPT this month is going to become multimodal for everybody, which means you can use all different functions of it at once in the paid versions, which will allow you to do some amazing things, which I can accomplish now, but it's really hard to do. It's going to make it easier and easier. And I've seen this technology in six months just go light speed in terms of where it's going. Um, have I gotten too geeky for you guys? And I don't believe it has to eliminate our jobs. It will create new ones, just like the internet did. Remember when the internet came and it created new jobs? Things that we haven't even imagined yet. But change is going to come rapidly. So today, friends, I want you to start educating yourself and learn to be more efficient and effective with the tools that are there. The tools aren't evil. It's what the people doing it with them do. The Bible says this to us, whatever we, you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God through the Father, uh, God the Father through him. Whatever you do in word and deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Colossians 3.17. It's a powerful tool. And God's people can do good or right with it right now. You know, but we need to be active. I, I remember back in my days as a computer consultant meeting a man who resisted change fiercely. And I watched him do a task that took him 10 to 15 mouse clicks to convert a simple file to a PDF and send it away. That was his job all day. And I went up to him and I said, you know you can do that in two clicks? And I started to show him. He goes, no, 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 you can't do that. Don't, don't tell anybody you can do that. See, he was really a con man. He had convinced his boss and his employer that his time was being well spent. And he wasn't willing to learn to be more efficient. That kind of worker that refuses to adapt to these new tools will soon find themselves replaced by them. Um, for now, 
we remain the masters of this technology. And maybe if good people embrace it and guide it, things will go better. God's people. So how does this connect with today's text? You think like, where are you going, Pastor? This is a rabbit trail, right? Well, I believe God's word is always relevant. Helping us to understand the times that we live in, the dangers of the times, and, and also the promises. And as I stand here, I am a large language model. That's what a chatbot is. Emphasize large, I'm a big guy. And I have a lot of Bible knowledge in my head. So I've been thinking about this concept. I'm thinking like, how does this fit? And God brought me to this text about Babel. And so I want to look back to a time where humanity had one language, where communication was unified, much like our digital landscape is becoming right now. Now the whole earth had one language and the same word. That's Genesis 11.1. When did that occur? That occurred a few years after a worldwide flood and at a time where human ambition had not been yet checked by divine intervention. Before the flood, God observed the wickedness of the human heart. said, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intention and thought of his heart was only evil continually. See, this virus called sin had corrupted our divine code, the divine design God gave us, causing all manner of brokenness, leading us towards death. Yet this same brokenness, if you look at our world, is not a a relic of the past. It's a reality that Jesus pointed out even in his time here on earth. He, He was the one that taught that it's not what enters a person that defiles them, but what emerges from the human heart. And, and, and the world often argues that people are born good and that they are corrupted by their environment. Yet the Bible t- uh, presents a different picture, one that shows that nature, our nature, is flawed from the beginning. We come with a virus. It's in nature. And without divine intervention in our lives, we lean towards self-destruction. Let's look at the last century alone. Over 100,000 lives have been destroyed by the whims of totalitarian regimes around the world like Hitler and Stalin and Pol Pot. What happened in China? And that echoes Genesis 6-11 where God said the earth was corrupt in God's sight and the earth was full of violence. Do you look around and see that today? Now, as we stand at the cusp of a, a new area marked by the rise of AI, we must ask ourselves, will we repeat Babel's errors? Will we use this common digital language to build a tower that reaches to the heaven, asserting our dominance, or we will use this amazing technology to construct arcs, safe havens that preserve life and honor the Creator? We have a lot of ethical questions to ask ourselves. And if you believe today that man goes bad, let me ask you a question. If you're a parent, did you have to teach your children how to lie? Did you have to teach them how to steal a cookie? Did you have to teach them how to disobey you? (laughs) The AI already knows how to lie. Where did he learn that? 
And it's our job as parents to teach them to be good. All right? Before the flood, God saw evil that, that his creation was producing and with their long lifespans. And so he limited the lifespan. He reduced them to about 80 or 100 years. He, he was merciful. He let an object lesson preacher, Noah, for about 80 years, build this massive boat to save humanity, and everybody rejected the saving of that technology. He used the best technology of his day to build that boat because God gave him the vision of how to do it. And he was a man of faith, and he trusted God. And, and God gave him the grace and the wisdom to accomplish the task that he had for him. And after the flood subsided, Noah and his family were about were there to reboot, reboot humanity, right? Genesis 10, if you read that, shows a table of nations. And if we could put that slide up there. We all come from one people. That's what the Bible teaches. We all, no matter what our colors or our cultures are, we, we come from one people, according to the Bible. And God promised never to curse the ground because of man's sinful heart. And, and this shows, if you can see it, that, that you know, in the Bible shows Noah, and then he shows his, his kids Ham and Jephthah and Shem. And uh, uh, so this is, archaeologists have said, this is an amazing thing that's in the Bible that shows where nations came from. And you can kind of, if you, you look at that chart, if you can see it, um, see where people in the world come from, uh, where these nations settled. And here, here's where we intersect with this text, because God told the nations to be fruitful and multiply. That's what he told Ham and, and Jephthah and Shem and, and, and Noah that they were supposed to, to go you know, out. And, you know, the, uh, one of these archaeologists, William F. Albright, said this about the 10th chapter of Genesis. stands as absolutely alone in ancient literature as a remote parallel, even among the Greeks, where you find the closest approach to the distribution of genealogical framework. The table of nations today still remains an astonishingly accurate document. And he was a, a world-famous archaeologist that studied ancient civilizations. And so the scriptures say in 11.2 uh, of Genesis that the people migrated from the east and found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. Now, who was it that settled there? It was a totalitarian dictator that had developed in Ham's line just a couple generations. He was a grandson of Ham. Didn't take long for man's violent nature to kick in again. Just two generations. Actually, his, his granddad, Ham, was kind of a pervert. Read, read the Bible. He, he, you know, liked to see his father, Noah, naked and drunk. And I guess Noah had a little bit of a drinking problem. So sin enters quickly, right? Back in, into the story. If you don't believe me, go, re go read the Bible. <laughs> you think I'm making things up? Just I encourage you, you get to read it. Go read it. So this dictator grandson was Nimrod. And the Bible says this about him in, in chapter 10. It says, Nimrod was the first on earth to be a mighty man. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. That's not saying he was hunting gazelles and zebras in Africa. What it's saying is he was a great hunter of men. He was a warrior, one who conquered men through violence. And the Bible says that the beginning of his kingdom was this place called Babel in the land of Shinar. 
And as a leader, he inspired the men of his day to build this great city, a tower, using the best technology available to the people. And he, he said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had bricks for stone and bitterim for mortar. So they had brick, something fashioned, made by man, a new technology. And uh, it was not a natural thing like wood or stone. And they, they dried them thoroughly in the sun, and it took great organization to build the whole city out of these bricks. So they would have, have organizational methods to you know, dry these bricks. And they even developed kilns, because it says they burned the bricks. So they developed kilns <coughs> to cook them. And they covered them with what? Bidouim. What is Bidouim? Anybody know? It's the same thing Noah put on the outside of the ark to waterproof it. It's tar or pitch. Okay? Now, why do you think they did that? Why, why do they, you know, you don't usually use bidouim in your mortar in, in today, modern building methods, right? Why do they waterproof it? Maybe because they were departing from God in their corrupt software of violent sin. You know, we, we hide from God, and they're thinking, let's waterproof this tower, so if a flood comes, we're okay, right? Let's waterproof our houses. They didn't trust God. And they come, let us build ourselves a, a, a city and a tower with its tops in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. What was God's plan? Be fruitful and well, and, and disperse yourself over the earth, right? But they were rejecting God. That's a willful plan to disobey God's design and destruction. They departed from God. Nimrod, only a couple generations from Ham, was already disregarding anything that God said. The fear of the Lord that brings us wisdom had left him, and violence and power and pride had overtaken him. And when it says, make a name for ourselves, in the Hebrew, this literally means to be God or God-like. We're going to be the ones in charge. This new age technology may make many feel like they are gods. And many young people will treat it like oracles or gods. Artificial intelligence will be sought instead of real intelligence or divine intelligence to solve our everyday problems. We have an illustration called Three Circles, and we say in it, when man is broken, he tries to solve his own problems without God, and he becomes more and more broken as he does that. The wage of our sin is death. And see, AI does not know what is true, doesn't know the truth. And it's running on corrupt software built by us. No matter how intelligent it becomes, it still was created by us. And the Bible says there's a way that seems right to a man, but at the end it is the way to death, Proverbs 14, 12. How many are going to die in this world because of the arrogance of the creators of this technology when things start to go bad? Possibly. And it will go bad. History tells us that. Because we've watched it over and over. And, and yet secularists are going to try to tell you they're going to create their own utopia. A bunch of tech guys are building a utopia somewhere in the desert, somewhere you know, right now, trying to build a utopia, a perfect society. And they're probably ignoring God. And it will fail like Hitler's Aryan race of Superman it did not work out for the, well for the people of this world to try to be gods or divine somehow. And, and the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built, Genesis 11:5. God didn't stop them from building it. He allowed them to build it. He, he gave them the freedom in their folly. But then afterwards, he comes down and he checks things out. 
<laughs> Friends, we're not hiding from him. We're not hiding from him. Nimrod's action, it says, was before the Lord. Our sinful actions do not thwart God's purpose. He's not afraid. He's not worried about AI. He's real intelligence, not artificial intelligence. Right? Now, the motivation from the text says was to build a tower to the heavens. Why? Was it because they feared God would flood the earth again? I I don't think so. Because they built this on a plain. And it doesn't take a genius to build your tower on top of a mountain if you're trying to get to the heavens. Right? No. The city and tower were to show the might of human achievement. In a sense, to flip God off and say, we don't need you, God. And building the heaven was for the purpose of observing the stars. For occult purposes, to gain special knowledge from created things, not the creator. Stars for the ancient people were a supercomputer by which they would try to gain information about the future and and the weather and all kinds of things. Isaiah 47, 13 through 14 states, You are wearied with your many counsels. Let them stand forth and save you, those who divide the heavens, who gaze at the stars, who at the new moons make known what, it comes, what comes up to you. Behold, they are like stubble. The fire consumes them. They cannot deliver themselves from the power of the flame. Already the other day looking at uh, one of these AI engines that already had the horoscope built right into it, right? Man, looking to other sources other than God. See, they looked to the stars, but they didn't consider the one who made the stars. Nimrod is not the only dictator the world has had that tried to build his own natural computer to have power over others. In the book of Daniel, it describes Nebuchadnezzar, and he had a human computer, a supercomputer of people. 2,600 years ago, it was filled with the best and the brightest people the world knew like Daniel, the Chaldeans. And the king could ask these magicians and mystics and wise people any question and receive an answer that would help him in any direction he wanted to go. It was, a, it was his own personal computer. And in that story, Nebuchadnezzar has a problem he can't solve, and he's distressed. And only a revelation from God can give him the answer. See, man has been seeking devices or systems to dominate others for a long time. He was a dictator. But even Nebuchadnezzar, in his sin, was used to accomplish God's purpose. See, man often seeks to rule over God, even God, to have power without any accountability, and it always comes with disastrous results throughout history. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will be impossible for them. Genesis 6, or Genesis 11, 6. In this verse, I see the power that can come in the unity of mankind and the power that comes when we communicate well. And that, that can happen in the church. And, and God loves unity, but he also loves uh, he doesn't want uniformity. He wants the differences that are out there. And, 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 and I want you to think about it. With this AI technology, we're already here 
in this moment, reversing Babel. Friends, there are hearing aids today that not only help you hear better because they analyze the sound, but these AI hearing aids are universal translator to many languages. There's already a high school student that got expelled for acing a French test using these AI hearing aids. Right now, I could take a link from my YouTube sermon afterwards and in a few hours have my sermon dubbed in Polish. Now, it wouldn't be dubbed. Remember the old days of dubbing where you'd see the person say hello and their mouth would keep moving, right? That was the kind of dubbing we grew up with. No, you will see me speaking Polish, my lips moving perfectly to the words that I'm saying. That's what the AI technology is capable of doing today. I don't speak Polish. I don't need to speak Polish. And right now, there's software that, that's developed where you can basically type and it will talk in your voice almost in real time, probably so quickly in any language that you want to talk. So universal translation is coming quickly. The technology is there right now. That's reversing Babel, isn't it? This has fantastic ministry possibilities. I, I could preach to... Um, uh, to, to relatives in Belize, in South Africa, you know, Poland, wherever. Even people in the South, they could understand me. That was a joke, sorry. <laughs> but, but, you know, language brings communication, and it can bring communication of the gospel. It has fa- fantastic ministry potential for good. But God in his wisdom sees that the power of man's unity and communication will be used for violence. And so he, he confuses the languages. Because remember, the earth was corrupt in God's sight and the earth was filled with violence. Language, friends, is a powerful thing. It's actually evidence that God exists. Language systems are so incredibly complex and they, 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 yes, they evolve, but they kind of start as one big chunk We don't quite understand it. There's all kinds of arguments apologetically of of where language comes from that point to intelligent design. The Oxford Dictionary indicates we use about 170,000 words today in the English language, but we have a language that's been around a long time, so there are over 600,000 words in it. Language is universal. Every society has one. It doesn't seem to just evolve. Like I said, it just kind of hits, and and, we see like a three-year-old being able to start to master a few thousand words in a, in a very short period of time. You know, we probably speak, the average person, about five or 6,000 words. The language is fun- fundamental to communication and human relationship. I believe it, it's part of what it means to be made in the image of God. We are, are capable of communication and relationship with one another and with God. And that's only really possible through words and ideas expressed through words. Communication is, is not always easy. In information theory, messages are conveyed from a sender to a receiver. And this this process requires an intelligent sender. Analogy might be the complexity of the information conveyed, the data in DNA. That, That code shows the intelligence of our designer. But an intelligent sender, like God, needs an open receiver to communicate. But pride, human pride, breaks that connection. 
The fact that we have language displays the complexity of God's creation. How many languages do you guys think exist today? Throw out a number. 194? Good. 500 or more. 500 or more. S what? 7,000. Does that speak of God? The diversity? 7,000 languages. That languages um, are new ones are created and, and, and some start to fall away. But right now, that's, that's what's in the world. And, and they start as systems with inherent structure, with, with rules like grammar. All of them are consistently have grammar. And, and they do evolve and get more complex. All this points to an intelligent designer. Models like AI models like BARD or ChatGBT are expansive language processors. That's, that's really what they do. They can analyze every word in second. Actually, that image right there was created by 10 words I typed. Created that image. Um, it's, it's using language to create and generate new and unique images through words alone. How did God say in his word that he created the world? He spoke it. He created by speaking. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, John 1, 1. Jesus is the logos, or the design of the universe, the principal order of the universe. That's what that word logos means, the, the fundamental elements of the universe, the code of the universe. And mankind is, is, is trying to play God with his technology and his wisdom. And the Lord knows the danger of this power in the human hand. So in his mercy, in Babel, he confused human languages and communication to protect his creation. He says, come down there and let's confuse their languages. Let us go down there and confuse their languages so that they may not understand one another's speech. That phrase, let us, is a nod to the Trinity. While that doctrine is not fully delineated in Genesis, it's understood from the very first line of Genesis, if you understand the Hebrew language. The Bible was written in Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. Hebrew words have very concrete meanings, offering a very vivid picture of things that often illiterate things for their audience. Greek came along and it introduces philosophical and abstract qualities and enabling nuance and theological and ethical ways and metaphysical discussion. And Aramaic was likely the, the language of Jesus that he spoke in day to day and it conveys intimacy and immediacy connecting with the common person. And, and God used that diversity to reveal who he was to us. In the beginning, he gave us very concrete and simple things, and it expanded over time and became more relational as languages changed. And so even in this scrambling of languages, he was benefiting us to understand who he was. You know, languages affect how we think. You know, not all languages are the same. They, they, they describe space and time differently. For instance, English speech speakers might say, I'm looking forward to the weekend. In contrast, Amaya people from the Andes might describe the future as behind them. And, and, and that kind of shapes your thinking, doesn't it? The way we're conceptualizing the future. 
You know, spatial orientation is also affected by language. The Yimthar people in Australia use cardinal directions, north, south, east, and west. Anybody under 30, well, let's say 35, point to the north for me. That was slow response. <laughs> and I don't see anybody under 30 pointing, right? Because <laughs> our language has changed. We have a phone. <laughs> What's north? Just turn here. Right? It's great until that stops working. But these people have amazing spatial representation because their language enforces those concepts. Um, uh, uh, language encodes agency or personal responsibility. In English, we might say, I broke the glass. Where in Spanish or Japanese, accidental breakage is often described in a way that removes uh, uh, personal blame. The glass broke itself. So do, does, does the way we speak, you know, what's the Bible say? You'll be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What do we renew our mind with? God's word. That's how we change, through language, through the Bible. In our own ch church community, there are many here that speak a language called Afrikaans. Let's take Cleone, for example. She was the epitome of niceness when she joined our church. She was the nicest person I knew when she arrived from South Africa. And a few years later, after hanging around us rough Chicagoans, she's gotten ornery, <laughs> listening to us, and she jokes around with us, and she's shaking her head back there. We've corrupted her, right? <laughs> it's going to happen to you too, Annika. <laughs> no. <laughs> language has a subtle influence on behavior. It does. Scrambling language has achieved God's will for humanity to be fruitful and multiply across the earth, right? He got us to obey. And so the Lord dispersed them over the face of the earth and they left off building the city, is what it says in Genesis 11.8. The diversification of language was God's love and mercy to us, preventing mankind from destruction and, and creating um, uh, uh, you know, a, a situation where one family could reveal who he was, one family through Shem through Ham. Now, or with Shem, <laughs> as we reach the conclusion, let's ponder upon the profound narrative of Babel in Genesis 11.9 because it's a pivotal moment in God's sovereign plan. Therefore, its name was called Babel because the Lord confused the language of all the earth and from there the Lord dispersed them all over the face of the earth. That term, therefore, when we see it in Scripture, beckons us to understand the consequences of action and to look to the past. Babel later became known as Babylon. And Babylon becomes a symbol of defiance against God, a representation of human kingdoms that exalt their ambition over God's will. And this hubris is recurrent theme reflected throughout the historical figures like Nimrod and echoed through despotic tyrants like Hitler, whose, what was he known for? His oratory skills. His oratory skills had almost wiped out a people, a nation. Yet in God's act of confusing languages, we recognize God's mercy, divine interruption, intended to safeguard humanity from the precipice of self-destruction. The division of tongues was not to create discord, but to move us in his sovereign will to accomplish fulfilling his command to be fruitful and multiply across the earth. Now let's fast forward, everybody, to Acts chapter 2 on the day 
of Pentecost. And I'm a Bible nerd as well as a technology nerd. On the day of Pentecost, we see divine reversal of Babel, don't we? The Holy Spirit descends on the apostles and they're able to speak in every tongue so that every person, regardless of their native language, hears and understands the good news of God through the gospel. And it's a glimpse of God's kingdom where barriers are broken and his word unites us. In this age of AI technology, as language barriers crumble once more, we stand at the crossroads akin to Babel and Pentecost. With tools like real-time translation, we can either perpetuate Babel's legacy or emulate Pentecost's miracle. Using this technology to spread the gospel, to fulfill the great commission, to reach every tribe and every tongue with the story of Jesus, the word made flesh. For us to be fruitful and multiply his gospel, so that the people he created could be saved from death and destruction. Jesus, the word of God, came down from heaven and he lived amongst us. He had the correct software. He loved people and he cared about them and he stood up for them. And while he was a great speaker, his message was more about um, hearing God, of us actually listening to what God said and obeying him rather than great oratory. And even though they spoke different languages. The, the leaders of men, the Jewish leaders and the Roman governors united in extreme cruelty to, innocent, to, to end the life of this innocent man on a cross and a means of torture. Even though he was God and he had the power to destroy them, instead he used his words and he, he prayed to his father to grant us forgiveness. And then he died paying the price for our sins for each and every one of us. He did not just come to speak to us even though he said many wonderful things and profound things, he came to sacrifice and to die for us so that by faith in him and what he did, we might live. And then on the third day, the scripture tells us he walked out of the tomb, proving he could forgive us and, and grant us everlasting life if we would just let him reboot us. Give us a new heart, a heart of flesh that loves and not a stone heart full of violence, pride, and destruction. I mentioned that there were 7,000 languages in the world. And even with this wonder of AI technology, his words, the Bible, are only translated into about 700 languages in a complete form, and the New Testament in about 1,500. And there are 3,400 languages that have portions of the Bible even with all this technology. So what could God do? God's plan stated in the next chapter was that through one family or nation, all nations would be blessed through the family of Abraham. Through the Hebrew people, a man named Jesus came to universally bless all people of the world, Arabs, Jews, South Africans, Americans, all the nations of the world. He protected and guided us to preserve his word through confusing the languages. And maybe right now God is unconfusing language through this AI tool so that his people can accomplish his will to be fruitful and multiply and multiply disciples throughout all nations 
And so he handed us a powerful tool to do it. And his gospel will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to the nations. And then the end will come. The end sounds daunting, right, when we hear the end. But it'll be the end of all sickness, all pain, all sorrow, when God's sovereign rule is finally established. And that won't happen until everybody hears him because of his mercy. Today, if you're trying to be God, I want to say something before that. With 3,600 languages still to go, instead of people, especially his people, being afraid of this technology, let's become masters of it and translate those other 3,600 languages and proclaim the gospel throughout the world. Let's excel for God's glory right now with the intelligence that he's given us, the divine intelligence he's given Turn from trying to be God with it and turn and believe in the one who loved you from the beginning, the word made flesh, who was God. Follow his perfect code of loving the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength and loving your neighbor as yourself. He has the power to correct the virus of your sin that's leading you into brokenness. Divine, true intelligence instead of artificial intelligence already has achieved AGI. He became human. And he will restore you with that new code. Then go forth and be fruitful and multiply with that restoring code of love. It's open source, friends. It's made for all, all people, all nations to be redeemed by it. Let us pray. Father, I thank you that you've given us words. I thank you for your word that you honor us by speaking to us and have created us in your image to do good. Father, help your church to do good for your glory. You did not give us a spirit of fear. You gave us a spirit of boldness and power through your word. Father, let us use that. Let us be courageous in this generation as many others were courageous throughout the generations to advance your word. Help this church to be a light in this community in the midst of the darkness of the human heart. Help us to redeem those hearts through the power of your word. Father, if there's anybody here today that has not turned turned away from brokenness, turned away from sin, and turned to you, let them do that right now. Accept Jesus, the word of God, who was God, who loved us and came to die for us. And then let them follow his words, making him their Lord and their Savior. Father, convert their heart right now by faith in your Son through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I pray that in Jesus' name.